following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Siakos and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putioli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who'd invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they'd travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier on guard. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that the people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses, and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves, and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning is our final message in this series we've been doing in the book of Acts. We've worked our way through this book of the Bible over about the past six months or so. It's taken us through two different lockdowns as well as that three-month period where we were able to meet together. And so this book has seen us through some interesting times. And it's been an interesting story for us to explore as we've looked at the growth of the early church and the expansion of God's mission out through the world in the first century. And I hope that it's given you a broader vision of the mission of God and what that looks like, what God's mission involves, and, and maybe an appreciation for the incredible sacrifices people like Paul have made so that you and I could hear the gospel and be able to respond to the good news about Jesus today. 
So this morning, we come to this final passage in the book of Acts, chapter 28. And this is the passage where Paul finally gets to Rome. He gets to the city of Rome. And in many ways, this has been the destination that Acts has been working to the whole way through the book. If you remember back to Acts chapter 1, you have the words of Jesus there saying, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly been the trajectory of the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem. You have the disciples there. That's where the gospel first starts to spread. And then it spreads out to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And then eventually people like the Apostle Paul take it to other nations. And finally it comes to the city of Rome. And Rome in, in these days really was the center of the world. I mean, you have the Roman Empire that covered most of the known world at the time. So Rome was the center of government. It was the center of power, the center of civilization. It was really the center of everything. Paul wasn't the first one to bring Christianity to Rome. And you can see that in the story from the way that when Paul arrives in Rome, there are some believers there, some brothers and sisters that come and meet him. And so you get this idea Christianity has already come to Rome. But Paul had always, since he became a follower of Jesus, wanted to get to Rome. He'd wanted to preach the gospel there. He'd wanted to preach to Gentiles in Rome, non-Jewish people. And he'd probably wanted to use Rome as a base to reach even further afield. So this is a significant journey for Paul and, and a huge milestone in the book of Acts to get to this point. But of course the irony is that as Paul comes to Rome... He comes there not as a freed person, but as a prisoner. He comes there courtesy of the Roman government. He comes there in chains. And his trip to Rome has been funded by the Roman Empire because he's, he's come as a prisoner awaiting trial before Caesar's court. Paul has been arrested. He's appealed his case to Caesar. So now he's awaiting to be put on trial before Caesar. And that, that waiting period takes about two years, during which time Paul remains a prisoner in the city of Rome. Now, when you think about Paul in Rome, I don't know what your impression is there. I used to have this impression of Paul there in Rome sitting in some dirty, dark, smelly prison cell there that's just a horrible place. But as you read this passage in chapter 28, it literally says that, that Paul lived there in his own rented house. So he was able to have his own accommodation there. He's actually in his own lodging. In fact, some translations even say he lived there at his own expense. And so some people suggest maybe Paul was even, even able to carry on his trade as a tent maker while he was in Rome. Or perhaps his accommodation was funded by some generous Christians from Rome. Whatever the situation, Paul was able to stay in a house, in his own lodging. Now, he was still under Roman guard. So he was still closely watched by Roman soldiers. In fact, he may have even been chained to a Roman soldier, so still a prisoner. But he had consider considerable freedom in Rome, and he could welcome people that came to his house. He could entertain guests there. One of the final scenes in this chapter is a group of Jewish representatives from Rome coming to see Paul. And it says, he talked to them from morning until evening about the kingdom of God. And you can just imagine Paul doing that, can't you? Talking about the Old Testament and how the prophets pointed to Jesus and how the law pointed to Jesus. He would have taken them through the whole story and revealed Jesus as the Messiah. But, not surprisingly, as Paul talks to this group, it was so often the case with Paul, and it happens here, the reception to his message was very mixed. Some people believed, but many people didn't. 
Many people still resisted that message and were not willing to place their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And Paul ends this speech to, to the Jewish community with some pretty stern words. He quotes from the book of Isaiah in verse 27, and he says this, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so Paul's saying, you, you Jewish people, you're kind of like the children of Israel in the Old Testament. You know, they, they didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen to people like Isaiah who were trying to tell them the good news. And now you are refusing to listen to the good news that's being proclaimed to you about Jesus. You're not recognizing who he is. You're not seeing the reality of Jesus as the Messiah. And I can imagine that Paul said those words with tears in his eyes, with a heavy heart, because these were his people. I mean, the Jewish people, they, they, were, they were his fellow countrymen and women. And he longed for nothing more than for them to come to know Christ as he had come to know Christ. And Paul kept that heart for the Jewish people. Even though he was called to the Gentiles, Paul, Paul continued to long for the Jewish people to know Jesus. But he says now, because of your resistance, the gospel has come to the Gentiles and they will listen. Oh, God's always intended for the Gentiles to know Christ and for the gospel to move beyond the Jewish people. But his hope was that it would happen in and through the Jewish community, not in spite of them, not because of their resistance. And so Paul's speech there ends on a, on a pretty harsh tone towards the Jewish people he was talking to in his day. And yet Paul maintained that concern for both Jew and Gentile to come to a knowledge of Christ as Savior. And God still has that concern in the world today. So you get to the end of Acts chapter 28. And you have this final verse here that uh, says, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So even though Paul was a prisoner, he, he had considerable freedoms. And he could write letters from his home there. And many of the books in the New Testament that we can read are letters that Paul wrote at this time in his life from his imprisonment in Rome. Uh, letters like Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. These are prison letters, and Paul wrote them in chains. And so he was able to write these letters. He was able to dispatch them with some of his companions who took these letters and, and, and took them far afield to other, other countries, other nations, to deliver them to the people that Paul had written to. And Paul could continue on a pretty flourishing ministry, even though he was still uh, based and bound in Rome. And so Acts ends at that point fairly abruptly, and we wish that we knew more of the story. We wish that we knew what happened to Paul after these two years. I mean, he was waiting for his trial to come up. But this is where the story of Acts ends. It's kind of like Luke, the author, gets us to Rome, and then that's it. He's reached his destination. But of course, the end of Acts is not the end of Paul's story. Paul's story, in one, one way or other, continued. And most likely, the most likely scenario is that Paul did face trial, after those two years, that he was put on trial before Caesar, or before Caesar's court at least, but that perhaps during that first trial he was acquitted and was able then to continue traveling, continue doing his missionary work, and perhaps during that time he may have even got as far as Spain, which he says he wants to get to at one point. But then, possibly, Paul was rearrested, and this was under Emperor Nero, and executed as part of a huge persecution, a wave of persecution that Nero poured out upon Christians and Paul's life ended probably sometime in the 60s, AD 60s. And so we don't know a lot about those final years of Paul's life. 
It's kind of in the realm of speculation. Acts only takes us so far. But we know that even once Paul's life ended, that wasn't the end of God's mission. Paul had already, and we see this in some of his letters, he had already raised up another generation of Christians, people like Timothy, who would then take this message, take the good news, and would continue moving it forward and would continue serving congregations and empowering churches to be part of God's ongoing mission. So the story of Acts ends, the story of Paul ends, but God's mission carries on. The gospel expands. It expands into Europe. The good news travels down into Africa, partly because of that Ethiopian we met back in Acts chapter 8, who takes it that way. And the gospel expanded back through the Middle East and down into Asia. And, and century after century, millennia after millennia, the gospel continues to move forward. God's mission continues to expand all the way down to our day today. In 1799, in England, there was a society formed called the Church Missionary Society. And that was a society formed by a group of concerned Christians who wanted to be part of God's mission in the world. One of them was John Newton, who was the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the well-known hymn. And they formed the CMS, the Church Missionary Society, and then the CMS recruited a man named Samuel Marsden. And Marsden became a missionary first in Australia, and then eventually in New Zealand. And in 1814, he stood on the shores of Oihi Bay in the Bay of Islands, and he preached the gospel, the good news. First time that the gospel had been preached on New Zealand shores. And later that day, Marsden wrote this in his diary. He said, In this manner, the gospel has been introduced into New Zealand, and I fervently pray, that the glory of it may never depart from its inhabitants till time shall be no more. And that's true. That's how it's been. The gospel has not departed from our land for the past 200 years. God's mission in Aotearoa has continued to move forward. The gospel, Te Rungapai, has continued to flourish and to thrive in New Zealand. And Christians have continued to outwork the mission of God in a whole range of ways. Churches have been planted. And missions organizations have been established. Missionaries have been sent out from New Zealand. A whole range of humanitarian uh, organizations have been started. Schools have been started by Christians. Hospitals have been started. Orphanages, children's homes, homes for the vulnerable, refuge shelters, community housing projects, debt centers, food banks, counseling centers, a whole range of organizations and services and provisions for communities and people to meet social needs within New Zealand have been started by men and women who have carried the gospel with them, carried their faith with them, and have wanted to be part of this ongoing story, this ongoing mission of God in our nation. And it's looked like so many different things, but it's continued on. This is our story. This is our mission's history. It's the same story that was started in the book of Acts, and it continues today. This is the story that we're a part of. Now, we can look around today, and we can feel like, well, this is such a secular country. You know, it seems so resistant to the gospel. In fact, we can look at the words that Paul quoted from Isaiah, and in some ways, it seems like a really appropriate description of the kind of context we're in. This people's heart has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes, and, and we feel like that a lot of the time, don't we? we? We feel like people's hearts are often just so calloused against the 
the good news. People just don't, don't want to know. Often they don't want to hear. And yet Paul's story reminds us, the book of Acts reminds us, that even when people's hearts seem to be calloused, God is still at work. The good news is still going forth. God's mission is still unfolding in the world. And we can take heart from that. Even though we see resistance and there'll always be opposition and there'll be many who may not listen, but there'll be some that will. And there'll still be ways of embodying the love of God and seeking to reach out with faith and hope and love in our world. I was reminded of this recently. I was in town and was sitting on a park bench and a guy came and sat next to me and he just started talking, just started conversation. And his name was Jim, introduced himself, and he just started sharing a bit of his story with me. And I thought, I bet I know where this is going. I bet you're a Christian, and you're going to share the gospel with me. And sure enough, after a couple of minutes, he kind of segued into talking about his faith and talking about God and sharing the good news and, and telling me what I needed to do to become a Christian. And I, and I was thinking as he was talking, I was thinking, at what point should I tell him I'm a Christian? You know, at what point... Should I tell him I'm a pastor? And I thought, well, he, he seems to be enjoying himself. I'm just going to let him talk and, and wait, for a, wait for him to draw breath. And finally, he took a pause and I said, Jim, I'm really pleased to tell you I am a Christian. In fact, I'm a pastor. I agree with what you're saying. Well, I don't think he was totally convinced that I was a Christian. Uh, it took a bit of persuasion. I had to say a, a few more things about my faith before he finally was persuaded that I was. I think eventually he believed me. But we had a great conversation. And I, and I asked him, because he was out there doing this a lot, and I asked him how he found this and, and what sort of reactions and what sort of responses he got from people. And he said, you know, people are so open. He said the word he used was longing, that people have a longing for the gospel. There is a, there is a hunger because people are trying to find meaning. People are trying to find purpose in their lives. And there is a spiritual hunger that exists. And it, it reminded me, I mean, I, I'm not like Jim, I don't, feel comfortable bowling up to people I don't know and just launching into conversation about faith. But it reminded me there is a hunger that's there. You know, we all need to make sense of life somehow. And there is a longing that's there, even if people won't acknowledge it. There's an openness and there's an opportunity to step into that openness with the love of Christ and, and with the gospel and with the, the care and the kindness that flows out of the relationship that we have with Christ and so really the, the question that remains for us is, what does our part in God's mission look like today? It has looked like so many different things down through the ages. And, and we've seen many of these stories in the book of Acts of what God's mission looked like in the first century. We've seen how God's mission has unfolded over time. We've seen what it's looked like in our own story, in our own journey. And now all the way down to our time today, we've got to ask ourselves, what, what is my place in this story? Where do I fit into this mission? I remember a couple of years ago, I had back surgery. And I had the surgery at Mercy Ascot Hospital in, in Epsom. And while I was there, I was there for a couple of days. And I took a lot of walks up and down the corridors there because I was trying to stretch out my back. And a couple of those corridors are just full of photos. The walls are just lined with photos. And they're photos of the people that started that hospital. And these were Catholic nuns. They're called the Sisters of Mercy. And they arrived in New Zealand in the, in the middle of the uh, 19th century. And by the early 20th century, they'd started this hospital. And they started it out of a Christian compassion. 
out of a desire to minister the gospel to the sick and the dying. And these nuns served as volunteers in this hospital and, and they met with the patients and they sat with them and they prayed with them. And this was their way of embodying the mission of God. That was their way in their own day of asking, how can I be a part of this mission? How can I be a part of this unfolding story? And we now have that same question addressed to us today. What is our part in the story? The story continues. And this is what I want you to see. That story that began in Acts... And in fact, of course, it began so much further back than Acts. But as this redemptive movement gets going in Acts, and we see the development of that mission, it's the same story that we're living in today. This is not some different mission. It's not some different kingdom that we're building. This is the same story. You can draw a line from Paul's journeys in the book of Acts to our journeys today and our expressions today of the gospel in our own context, we are continuing that same story today. And God is asking each of us today, what is your part in this? What is your role in this? How are you going to step into this? And we've looked at so many ways in which this mission can happen. We've talked about local community mission. Some of the things that we've got going there, you could jump on the Shore Community Trust website and see a range of programs that we're running as a church. You could volunteer in one of those, help run one of the courses, uh, and serve the people in our local communities on the North Shore. We've talked about global mission and the way in which people are called into international mission contexts. And that might be more difficult now with travel restrictions, but you might be able to support someone who's in the field at the moment. You might be able to get alongside a missions agency in New Zealand, take an interest in what they're doing. We've talked about funding mission, whether it's funding overseas mission or funding local mission. For some people, that's their role is to sow into the mission of God financially as God enables them to do that. And of course, at a personal level, we are all called to look for the opportunities, the everyday opportunities, the everyday conversations, to share the message, the good news of Jesus with people around us, to share a bit of our story with someone, to share a bit of God's story with someone, to look for those opportunities to point people towards the Jesus whom we love and serve. And so I want to encourage you and gently challenge you with that question today. What is your place in this ongoing mission? What is one next step that you could take? What is one way in which God might be prompting your heart to be part of his mission story, to, to show faith and hope and love with those around you? What's one next step that you can take? I want to encourage you to, to step into that, not to be discouraged, not to be disillusioned, not to be kind of blasé about it and not care about it, but to really take this calling, this mantle that we have seriously and to hear afresh the words of Jesus who said, Lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. That's what we need to do today is pray that God would raise up more men and women and children to be released into the harvest, into the mission, to continue moving the story forward in our own day. And may we be those who are willing to step out boldly, to take courageous steps to take risky steps, to love others and serve others, to show and share the good news of Jesus wherever and however we can as God leads us and the Spirit empowers us. I pray that we would be mission-minded people, that we would be a mission-focused church, and that we would take our place today in this great unfolding story of the mission of God in the world. Let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for this great story of your mission in this world. A story, God, that really stretches back as far as creation itself. And as we've journeyed through this book of Acts, God, you've, you've shown us what your mission has looked like as your church was in its very early days in that very embryonic stage. And God, now we see the way in which that mission continues down through the ages to our day today. And, and we know, Lord, it'll continue until you return. And one day you'll finally gather together those who are yours and, and you'll make all things new. And we look forward to that day. Until then, God, would you show us our place? Would you help us not to push all this aside that we've heard and this journey that we've been on, but, but Lord, let it sink deep into our heart and show us our place. Put in our minds the names, the faces, the steps to take, the ways in which you would have us outwork your mission in the world and in the lives of those around us. We thank you, God, that this is your mission, not ours. It's been going on long before we were here. It'll be going on long after we're gone. But for this moment in time, we get to be a part of this. And so give us the faith and the courage to step into all that you are calling us to do. We pray it for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.